All right, get out your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Book of Titus, right after First and Second Timothy, Titus, New Testament, chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Let's do this. Let's all stand together if you would. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 down through 15 this morning. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. If your neighbor does not have a Bible, please allow them to look on with you if you would. Verse 9 of Titus 2 says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again nor prolorning, but, but shewing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, it's good to be with your people this morning. It's good to be here in church. We thank you, Lord, for that opportunity, and we pray Lord, that uh, you would lead us and guide us into some things that would be a help, a blessing, and encouragement where it's needed. Father, may it be even a rebuke to our hearts. But God, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning. Speak to us through your word. Nudge us by the Spirit of God. We just ask, God, that, that uh, uh, we would put things off to the side that might in any way distract us. We pray that, Lord, you would remove all the distractions from this place this morning so that we can focus on what thus saith the Lord. And as you speak to us this morning, uh, Father, please, please, may our heart be that will respond to you as you speak. Father, I pray that you would give me the power and give me the wisdom, give me the understanding that I need to preach the word and give all of us ears to hear. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Verses 9 and 10, Apostle Paul is speaking uh, to, to servants, basically, that's slaves back in the in New Testament time. And uh, he, he uh, told them that the, the, uh, their behavior needs to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And uh, the idea is that they were to display... Uh, to others what God had done for them, those, those that had trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And what, what I suppose we would call that is just being, today we'd call that just being, being a good testimony and, and uh, letting other people see Jesus Christ in us. Well then, in verses 11 through, through 14, he spends time speaking about the grace of God. And this is one of my favorite passages in the Scripture when it comes to God's grace because it, it tells us and shows us what God's grace did for us and what God's grace has brought to us. And there's three things in particular I want you to, to focus your attention on this morning. The first one 
It's found in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Uh, it says that the means of salvation is, is the grace of God. Well, what is the grace of God? I've heard all kinds of definitions over the years. Uh, one definition is God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, you did nothing in order to have your sins forgiven if you're saved, and Jesus Christ did it all. And he paid the entire price for your salvation. Another definition I've heard of grace, and, and this, this fits not only saving grace, but also living grace. It's the will and the power given by God to do his will. And it is. Uh, you, don't, you don't have that strength and that power in yourself. It's the, the power that God gives you and the will that God gives you, because now once a person gets saved, they have the Holy Spirit on the inside. Uh, you have the will and the power to do what God would have you to do, to obey His will. Uh, another, another definition of another, maybe a, another facet of the same diamond is, uh, is God's resources given to us to be able to be obedient and to be able to do His will. Uh, you, you, if, if you live for God... <laughs> You don't live for God in the flesh, and if you try to do it, you'll fumble, you'll falter, and you'll fall. But if we do so in his strength and in his power, it's God's resources that give us the strength to do what God would have us to do. Another definition, and this kind of goes hand in hand with that, is that grace is simply the strength and wisdom of God to carry us through. When Paul got the thorn in the flesh... He uh, uh, asked God three times to remove it, and the third time God's answer to him was, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in, in weakness. And in that verse, he basically defines what grace is. It's his strength, his strength. If, if you're here this morning and you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven because there's been a time in your life when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You cannot boast about your salvation at all. And the reason why you can't boast is because you didn't do anything. All you simply did was believe on Christ. And when you believed on Christ, he applied that which he'd already done by dying on the cross, dying for our sins, being buried and rising again the third day, uh, he applied that, that uh, finished atonement, he applied that to you and he applied that to your soul. And so the reason why you know you're saved is by grace. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. makes it very, very clear and very, very plain. You can't work to go to heaven. Uh, bottom line, and, and this is the issue for me the night that I got saved. I struggled with that thing for probably about two hours, arguing back and forth with the preacher. But, but I was taught my whole, whole life, and most people are taught this, that you've got to have a part in it. There's, there's got to be something that I can do. There's one thing you can do. Believe. <laughs> believe. You repent of your sin, you believe on Jesus Christ, and you trust Him as Savior. That's it. I mean, that's it. He does all the work. Why? Because it's God's strength that gets you saved. It's God's power that gets, gets your sins forgiven. You can't get your own sins forgiven. 
And uh, what a person just needs to simply do is realize they're a sinner, realize that because of their sins, if they got what they deserve, they die and go to hell for all eternity. And the only way that they can go to heaven is by, by trusting Jesus Christ, believing on Him and Him alone for their eternal salvation. Bottom line is, grace is simply God doing for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves. And uh, uh, that's true with salvation. That's true with a Christian life. You know, a, a man once said, he said, it's, it's not hard to live for God. It's impossible to live for God. Well, what do you mean by that? You can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own effort. You can't do it in your own power. Uh, you, you try to do it, and you're just going to fall flat on your face. But we need daily the grace of God, and that's how we got salvation. We got salvation through God's grace. And I want you to know something else. Verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What does that mean? That means everyone on this earth has the opportunity to get saved. I had somebody ask me this week, said, uh, Pastor, let me ask you a question. Uh, what about Buddhist people? What about Muslim people? Uh, what about, and he went through uh, Hindus and various other religions. He said, uh, if, if they die, and they believe on their God, will they go to heaven? Well, the, the answer it, Jesus Christ gave, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There, there is no other way. You say, well, man, that's awful. That's awful hard. That's awful narrow-minded. Well, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the path that, that leads to life everlasting. Uh, there, there's not a lot of people that, uh, today that believe on Christ alone for their salvation. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of mixtures of that. Uh, you know, people, I, I got a letter here not too long ago. Basically what the guy said in the letter was that you got to, you got to not only believe, but you got to get baptized, and the baptism is a part of your salvation. I don't find that in my, in my Bible. That's not true. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. If it's of you, then you can do something else besides just believe and trust him. But there is nothing else you can do because Jesus did it all. <laughs> and he did it all by his grace. And it's his grace that gives us eternal life. Um, but it says it, it, that, that it appeared to all men. In other words, in other words there's, there's no group, there's no class of people, there's no country, there's no race that's excluded. A salvation is offered to all. Take your Bibles. Keep your finger here because we're going to be here all morning. But go to uh, uh, 1 Timothy. Just back up a little bit. 2 Timothy and then 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verses 3 through 6 with me. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Man, I like that verse. I like that phrase. He'll have all men to be saved. God does not just desire for a select few people to come to know Him as Savior. He has a desire for all men to be saved. Now, will all people be saved? No. 
but that's his desire. And he's given them the will to either choose, uh, the free will to either choose or to reject. But verse 4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Uh, if you go with me uh, back in Titus, Titus chapter 2, look, look down in verse 14. Verse 14, it says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And again, he says that it, it's available to, to everyone, and he gave himself that he might redeem us from all iniquity. It's available to all people, and when folks trust Christ as their personal Savior, they get all of their iniquity, not part of it, not some of it, but all of their iniquity is removed. When, when uh, God saved and forgave me, it was for all of my iniquity. It was for my iniquity and sins in the, in the past, in the present, and in the future. Um, I, I heard a, a man say this years, years ago, and it's, it's, it's so true. When Christ died, all your sins were future sins. You weren't even born yet. And so when Christ forgives us of our sins, it's not just some of our sins. It's not just up until that point in time. God forgives our past, our present, and our future sins all in one shot. And that's why it says he gives us eternal life. Eternal life is not something you pick up at, at death if, if you've got it. No, no, no. It's something you have before death and you cash in on it when you pass away, and you go straight, straight to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, Christ, the Bible says, redeemed us. That just simply means he paid the penalty, and he paid the price. By the way, and again, and I don't mean to be just harping on one thing, but we need to always remember this. He didn't just pay for most of it. He didn't just pay for some of it. He paid it all. You, listen, if you're saved here this morning, you didn't have to pay anything for your sins. You didn't have to do anything to get your sins forgiven. All you had to do was believe. There was no works involved. There was no effort on your part. It was just simply believing on Jesus Christ. And when a person understands they're a sinner on their way to hell, and the only way they can go to heaven is by putting all their faith and all their trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And they believe on Him and ask Him for mercy and ask Him to save their soul and ask Him to forgive them of all their sin. Right at the moment that they ask and they believe, the Bible says He gives them eternal life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and uh, uh, it says that He gave Himself for us. In other words, He was the substitute. There's a, there's a song, it's an older song, uh, but uh, the song simply says, I should have been crucified, I should have suffered and, and died, I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. He is our substitute. He is the payment for our sins. Take your Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter 2, 
Look down at verse 21 through 24. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24 says, For even hereunto were he called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Why is all that true? Because Jesus is God. Jesus not just was God, he is God, always has been, always will be. In verse 24, and I love this verse, verse who, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. It says he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. So if you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you don't have to bear any of it because he bore all of it. And then he goes on in verse 24 to say that we should live unto righteousness. He didn't get us saved so we can live any way we want to. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that question. Preacher, uh, you, you, what you're saying is, is that a, a, person, a person can trust Jesus Christ as Savior. They've got fire insurance from hell. And so from that point forward, they can just do anything they want to. Well, the truth of the matter is they do have eternal security because if you have eternal life and it's eternal, then there's no taking it away. However, God did not save us so that we could be licentious in our behavior. God didn't save us so we could continue to sin. Uh, God saved us so that we could, we could live in a way that's pleasing and honoring to God. And that brings us to the, the, the second thing that grace does for us. Look down in verse 12, if you would. It says in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And then drop down to verse 14. Look at the last half of verse 14. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Second thing that God gives us, not only through grace does he give us salvation, but through grace he gives us sanctification. Now what is that? That's just simply God setting us apart. When I got saved, I was set apart unto eternal life. I was, I was set apart for God. Uh, I was cleansed. My, my, my soul was cleansed, and, and my soul was saved, and my, my heart was made right with God. Uh, my, my sins were all forgiven. That's all part of being set apart. Uh, sanctification means to make pure. It means to make holy. And this happens in two ways. Number one is positionally. Positionally. We are, positionally, we are, or spiritually speaking, as far as our standing with God is, is concerned, uh, we, are, we are purified. Our, our souls are made clean before God by the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanseth us, again, not from, all, not from most sin, not from much sin, but from all sin. And so positionally, we are pure and we are clean before God. Uh, when, when, when God looks at us, He doesn't look at us and see all of our sin, but He sees the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to our account. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us from all sin. 
That's, that's positionally. All right? But then secondly, when, when a person gets saved, we, we can be purified on a daily basis. And that's, that's practical sanctification. God didn't save us just so we can do whatever we want to do. God saved us so that we can do what we ought to do, and we, we ought to obey him. After salvation, we now, we now have the power to live for God and, and, and the power to have a pure and a clean and a holy life. And that's, that's by his grace. Take your Bibles, keep your finger here, but back up to the book of Romans. If you can get to the book of Acts, you've gone too far. Go to Romans chapter 5. And in Romans 5, look with me beginning in verse 19. Romans 5, 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now drop down with me, if you would, to verses 1 and 2 in chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? In other words, because, because we're saved by grace, because we're cleansed before God, because internally we, we, are, we, are, we are purified, as spiritually speaking, before our, our Savior, uh, then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Here's the answer. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? God gives us the power and God gives us the ability to live a pure life, to live a holy life. Uh, what God wants us to do is to strive for our practice to meet our position. Our position is we're holy, pure, and clean before God. That's our position in Christ. But he wants our practice to match our position. Now, grace teaches us how to be different from the world. And you ought to be different. I mean, after I got saved, I noticed. I started looking at things differently. I started seeing things differently. Um, there were things that I noticed that I never noticed before. There were things that bothered me. Uh, you know, right after I got saved, uh, one of the guys that supposedly got saved with us uh, cursed. And I rebuked him for cursing. Man, I'd never done that before. I thought, where in the world did that come from? Well, it came from the new nature that was on the inside. And all of a sudden, I saw things from a different perspective. Grace teaches us how to be different from the world and in three different areas. Uh, first of all, it's by, by uh, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. In other words, in other words it's, it's our desires that ought to change. Um, our wants will change. You won't want the same thing that you, that you wanted uh, before you trusted Christ as Savior. Um, there were things that I, I, I remember. I was, I was 17 when I got saved. And I was going to turn 18 in November. One of the things I had my eyes on was the fact that when I turned 18, I was living in Rochester, so it's the state of New York, so uh, that's legal drinking age. 
That was legal. It's not now, but it was back then. And uh, I had my eyes on that thing as an unsaved kid. And I, and I said, man, in less than a year, I'll be able to go on out and party with the boys, you know. You know, after I got saved, that desire wasn't what it used to be. And by the time it came to my birthday, I had, I had already surrendered to the Lord and some things in my life. And that was the furthest thing from my heart and mind. It changes what you want. The grace of God allows us to, to, to want the things that we ought to want for God rather than pleasing yourself. You, know, you have a desire to please God. Uh, you please God first and then you serve others. And he wants our desires. He wants the things that we want to be cleaned, cleaned up. Secondly, God's grace teaches us to be different in the, from the world by our walk. It says we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Soberly, righteously, and godly. What, what are those things? Soberly. That just means seriously. If you're saved this morning, can I ask you something? Do you take your Christianity seriously? Do you, do you take your, your witnessing seriously? Do you take your Bible reading seriously? Do you take your, your giving seriously? Do you take your prayer life seriously? You know what I find? I find in, in many, many cases as Christians, most Christians today are just kind of floating through the world, floating through life. The Bible says, now I want you to be sober. Now that doesn't mean you never have a good time. That doesn't mean you don't ever laugh. It doesn't mean that at all. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ was a, was a joyful man when he was on this earth. But I don't believe there's ever been a more spiritual man that's ever walked on the face of planet earth than Jesus Christ because he was God in the flesh. But, but you find over and over again, even in his Gospels, he talks about how the, a person might have joy. But we have, we have joy by, by, uh, by walking the way that God would have us to walk. And, and the truth is, we're at war. You know, the Bible says uh, over in Ephesians chapter 6, your adversary, the devil, talks about, about, about the devil. And over in, in 1 Peter, it says uh, that our adversary, the devil, uh, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, the devil can't, once a person gets saved, the devil can't get their soul that thing's sealed unto the day of redemption, but it can get your, your joy. he can get your joy, he can get your peace, he can get your life, he can get your mind, he can get your heart, he can get a whole bunch of things, he can get your desires. And God wants not only our wants to change, but he wants our walk to change, I and mean, he wants us to be serious about the Christian life. And then it says righteously. That's just simply doing what's right. Uh, back up, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. And look with me in Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become a saint. Not once. If you're saved, none of those things ought ever be named among you, whether it be in deed or whether it be in thought, those things, covetousness, uncleanness, fornication, that's, that's immoral sexual sins. Those things should never be named, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. nor In other words, we don't laugh at what the world laughs at. You know, and I, I've come to the realization, there's hardly a comedian that I can even listen to anymore. 
I, I, I just have no desire. I don't think they're funny. They're dirty. They're filthy. They can't, they can't, they can't just say something that's funny. They've got to say something that's lewd. That's not humor to me anymore. By the way, if it's humor to you and you're saved, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with your walk. And it says that, that uh, we, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You know what? It's always right and it's always good to be thankful. And, and, and when it, the first... First time I noticed that in that verse, I realized that the the antidote to the filthiness, the antidote to the uh, to the uh, uh, jesting and the, the lack of, of of being serious in the Christian life, the antidote to that is be thankful. You know, our, part of, a big part of our problem is we just don't really appreciate all that God has given to us. We need to have a grateful, thankful spirit. So it says our walk ought to be sober, ought to be righteous, and it says godly. Living, godliness is just simply living in obedience to God's commands from a principle of love to Him and reverence of His character and precepts. In other words, we, just, we obey Him because we love Him. We obey Him because we, we know who He is and we appreciate all that He has done for us. This world has got to see Christ in you. If they don't see Christ in you and they don't see a difference, then let me ask you something. Why should they get saved? If you don't handle problems any different than they handle problems, why should they take your God? If you don't, you know, if, if they don't, uh, if, if you don't, if you don't uh, handle difficulty, if you don't handle pressure, if, uh, if, if uh, you respond exactly like the rest of the world responds, you walk, you talk, you dress just like... They look at you and say, well, I don't need what they have because I'm no diff- they're no different than I am. We, we need to have a difference in our walk, and then we have, need to have a difference in our work, in our works. Uh, verse 14 says, says in the last part of the verse, says, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. If you're zealous of good works, that means you're excited about it. You, you look forward to opportunities to work for God. And that makes us peculiar. Can I tell you something? That whole work ethic thing is peculiar today. If you, if you get hired at a job and you show up the first day and you show up on time and then the, the boss tells you what to do, and you do exactly what he... I, I'm not even talking about you, you doing a whole lot over the top. I mean, you just do what they tell you to do. They look at you and say, oh my, that's an exemplary employee. You know why? Because people don't want to work anymore. And if you, if you, you know, honestly, if you just have the work ethic on your job... You're going to stick out like a sore thumb. You really are. You're going to, you're going to look different because the world just isn't that way. And I, I've heard testimony after testimony after testimony of some of our people. That some of you folks that you said that, uh, you know, that, that uh, people that are at your job, particularly the bosses, appreciate when you just do your job. We ought to be different from the world. And that means peculiar. Um, 
You know, you say, well, I don't like being different. You are called to be different. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. God expects us to be, to be different, to be set apart, to stand out, because grace gives us sanctification. And then the last thing that grace gives us, not only gives us salvation, gives us sanctification, but grace gives us sight. Look down at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I heard somebody say years ago, we aren't waiting for the undertaker, we're looking for the upper taker. <laughs> and that's true. Um, I just heard somebody, I think it was Larry Harrison. You know the old saying, uh, well, uh, I'll be there tomorrow if the creeks don't rise. You know, and we've, I've heard a lot of people around here say that. I got a new one for you. This, is, this will work. I'll be there, Lord willing, if the saints don't rise. <laughs> I like that. In other words, if the, if the saints are rising, I'm not going to be there because I'm gone, man. I'm up there. Um, we ought to be anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Why are we looking? Because he's, he could come at any moment. He could come at any moment. And the word for that is the word eminent. It's the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Paul was looking for him back in his day. Well, if Paul was looking for him back then, how much more should we be looking for him today? Because his, his coming is nearer today than it was yesterday. And he could come any moment. Um, you know, after I got saved, that, that first year that I was saved, I, uh, I cut my teeth on the book of Revelation in Bible study. And... And uh, because it, the reason why I did was because the college and career age Bible study that I was a part of in a local church was, was going through the book of Revelation. And uh, one of the things that got a hold of my heart is that Jesus Christ is coming again. And I got excited about that. There was, I'm sure, a time in your life, if you're saved, when all of a sudden you grabbed a hold of that yourself, you said, wow, you know, you, know, you know what I realized? He could come at any moment. Listen, when he comes, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. Boom! I mean, we're just going to go. What a prospect. What, what an opportunity. And that, that event has not happened yet, and so it, it, it could happen at any moment. Every time uh, we celebrate New Year's Eve, I always look backwards and say, well, it didn't happen that year. I wonder if it will happen this next year. And we ought to always be looking for Jesus Christ to come back. By the way, can I tell you something? We're not looking to go through the first part of the tribulation. We're not. Okay? We're not looking for... I'm, I was just talking to Brother Randy King, and uh, he, he travels all over the country. He's finding pastor after pastor and church after church that believe that the church has got to go through part of the tribulation. I'm sorry, I don't buy that. I don't find that taught in Scripture. And, and listen, here, here's, might we go through some persecution? Yes, we might. I mean, let's face it, folks. China's been through it. Uh, large parts of Africa have been through it. Uh, Russia's been through it. Other, other countries have been through it. We've, we've had some in this country, but not to the extent that a lot of other countries have. That might happen, but it doesn't have to happen. 
And some of these guys are waiting for it. They can't wait for the persecution to come. Not me. I'm a chicken, man. I want to be taken out of here. <laughs> Amen? I mean, I just soon, I just soon escape uh, and, and have God take me out before that happens. It might happen. But let me tell you, even if it does happen, it's not the tribulation that you find in chapters 4 through 19 of the book of Revelation. It's not. Uh, we aren't looking for the tribulation. We're looking for Jesus Christ. We're not looking for the Antichrist. Here's what I found. These guys that think that they're going to go partway through the, the tribulation, they're looking for the Antichrist. Excuse me. Excuse me. Show me one verse in the Pauline epistles that says, I ought to look for the Antichrist. <laughs> there isn't one. You know what he says? Looking unto Jesus. He calls Jesus Christ the blessed hope. Okay? That's what you ought to be looking for. You ought to be looking, be, and, and you look for him because he could come at any time. He's called the blessed hope. Go to 1 Peter. I love this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Peter was writing to a bunch of Christians that were going through trials, and they were going through suffering, and they were going through persecution. And it says, that The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What were they looking for? They were looking for Jesus to come back then. Look in verse 8. Whom having not seen, ye love. And whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Uh, we love him, we believe in him, we rejoice in him, and it's a blessed hope because he's our great God and he's our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. If you're here this morning and you're saved, He is not just the Savior, He is your Savior. And you got that through, through grace. Through grace. Um, you know, the, 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 it's funny how all of these, these things seem to be kind of tied in together. We just talked about sanctification and purification. Truth of the matter is, if you're waiting for His coming, and you, you realize that he could come at any moment, and he could. I mean, he could come before the service is over. That'd be fine with me. He could come. We, we might. Listen, wouldn't it be good to have Sunday night church up in heaven? <laughs> That'd be great. I'd much rather have it up here, up there than down here. Don't need air conditioning up there. Uh, you don't need, you know, you don't need the, the padded pews and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you know, I, I just as soon have it, and I'd like to see my Savior face to face. Now, Here's the thing. He said that, that looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ. Are you looking for it? Now, again, if you're living a life that's pure and clean and right before God, you're looking for him. But if there's something in there that's not supposed to be there, you're not. That's just the truth. One of the... When I was, when I was newly saved... I, I didn't have a lot of principles for how to live the Christian life. I just knew what, what I heard preached. 
And uh, I was asking, I don't even remember what the subject was at the time, but I was asking somebody about, about uh, different things, uh, different things that I was involved in and doing uh, as a newly uh, saved individual. Uh, a lot of my, obviously, the, the old life was still there. And, uh, and I said, well, how do I know whether or not something's right or something's wrong if it's not clear-cut in Scripture? And the answer I got was this. Well, this is a good way to, to, to judge it, to gauge it. What if right in the middle of you doing what you're doing, Jesus Christ was to come back and take you up, and you had to, just like that, you saw him face to face? Would you be glad you were doing what you were doing, or would you be sad? Ooh. And I was asking about a particular thing that wasn't something that I should be involved in, but it wasn't necessarily cut and dried. And when he said that, I thought, boy, uh, yeah, I want to make sure that I am doing what God wants me to do so that at any time, if he were to come, when I look at him face to face, I won't do it with shame, but I'll do it with joy and with a smile on my face. Grace, grace gives us some things. Grace gives us salvation. You cannot get salvation on your own. You can't get salvation by your works. Your works have nothing to do with it. By grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by, by grace that we get salvation. It's by grace that we get sanctification. Positionally and then power to live for him on a day-by-day basis practically. And then thirdly, grace gives us sight. It, 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 you know, I, I, before I got saved, I never thought about Jesus Christ coming back. Since I've been saved, I've thought about it a lot. And the more we, we realize that he could come at any day, it helps us and motivates us to live right. I'll close with this verse. 1 John chapter 3, and verses 2 and 3, and you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it to you. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And all God's people said, oh, and you know what that means? New body, man. We're gone. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. If you have that hope in you, if you have that foresight to realize that he can come at any moment, you'll be careful about how you live. Grace. Grace has given us salvation, sanctification, and sight that causes us to look for Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to pray in just a moment. Before we do, I want to ask you a question. And honestly... This is the absolute most important issue that you could ever think of in your entire life. And that's just simply this. If you were to die today, are you absolutely 100% positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven to be with Jesus Christ? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Can you look back to a time in your life when you put all your faith and all your trust in Jesus Christ, not trust in baptism or communion or going to church or any of that kind of stuff, but just trust, trusting Christ alone. If you know for sure 
But if you're to die today, you go to heaven because you know your sins are forgiven because of him. I wonder if you just raise your hand as a testimony to that fact. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just raise your hand. Just say, I know for sure if I die, I go to heaven. All right, thank you. You put your hands down. How many of you be just as honest and say, I'm not sure about that. I'm really not. All right, thank you. I see that hand. You can put it down. Okay, anybody else? Say, Pastor, here's my hand. I'm not sure, but I'd like to know. I'd like to have that thing taken care of. Would you pray for me? I'm going to pray for this person that just raised their hand. How about you? Do you know that for sure? And then thirdly, okay, if you are saved, praise the Lord. You got saved by grace. How's your sanctification coming? How's your daily walk coming? would Would we categorize your thought life as pure or defiled? And how about your how about your eternal sight? Have you got your sights set on Jesus Christ coming back? Father, we pray that you'd help us to see that grace has done wonderful things, offered wonderful things for all of us. And Lord, uh, I'm thankful for those that raised their hands, said that they knew for sure that if they died, they go to heaven because they've trusted you as Savior. I'm also thankful for the one who raised their hand and said, I don't know that for sure. God, I pray that as the invitation is given this morning, that that person come forward and trust you as Savior. Uh, Lord, that there's no reason for them to walk out of this building this morning not knowing that their sins are forgiven because you've already done it all. And all we simply need to do is repent of our sin and trust you as Savior. Believe on you. God, we pray that you would do that wonderful work in that person's heart this morning. We also pray, Father, for, for those of us that are saved. And there's, there's some things there that ought not to be there. And there's some things that are not there in our lives that ought to be there. If Jesus Christ were to come today, would he say to us, would you say to us, Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, I want to hear that. I really do. I pray that, uh, Lord, I realize that uh, I, can't, I can't hear that because of my efforts and my works. I can only hear that by the grace and power of God that works in my life, and I allow it to do so. I just pray, Father, that you'd work in hearts this morning. As you speak to our hearts, may we respond to you. We'll be careful to thank you and praise you for what you do in this invitation for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's do so.